Welcome to Civicus Voices, a brand new podcast from Civicus, a global alliance of over 10,000 activists and civil society organizations working to strengthen civil society and citizen action for a more just, inclusive, and sustainable world. I'm Marty Narsi. And I'm Mawe Tungosana. This is our first episode, and on this episode, we focus on what's going on in the world as we hear from activists and a researcher about how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted civil society. The global COVID-19 pandemic changed the world we live in. Across the world, civil society organizations took action as crucial frontline responders, as well as defenders of democracy, civic space and human rights, Mawetu, what we've seen is this civic resilience, right, exactly as you described. But now what we're also seeing is this new wave on restriction of rights that have been imposed under the guise of the pandemic emergency response. These restrictions include censorship, detention, arrests and threats against journalists and frontline workers, or any people who've been critical about COVID-19 and the government's response to the pandemic, or are exposing their feelings about the pandemic response. Interesting, Ati. On today's episode, we will then discuss the latest civic space trends with a civic space researcher. We'll then hear from an activist on the ground in Fiji. And lastly, we speak to a Slovenian trade unionist and youth activist. That sounds like a jam-packed show. Let's hear what they have to say. Ati, as you were saying earlier, Repressive governments have used the pandemic as a pretext to introduce and implement additional mechanisms to restrict civic space freedoms. That's exactly what I've been monitoring with my team, the Civicus Monitor, for the past year since this pandemic has been declared. Just to tell you a little bit about the Civicus Monitor, we're an online tool and we track and rate civic space in 196 countries. And I must tell you that the things that we've been tracking and the data that we're seeing is incredibly worrying. I spoke to my colleague, Deborah Lau, who's a civic space researcher with our team, and she painted an incredibly concerning picture about the state of civic space in COVID-19. Let's take a listen to our interview. So Deborah, you've been working and researching the state of civic freedoms, which is peaceful assembly, freedom of association and freedom of expression, as well as civil society around the globe as part of your work with the Civicus Monitor. Can you tell us a little bit about the trends that your data is currently showing? Yes, our data shows that civic space conditions are declining year on year, and 2020 was unfortunately no exception. In our analysis, over half of the world population lives in countries where space for civil society is repressed or closed, meaning that people who attempt to hold power holders to account will regularly see themselves become targets of harassment or surveillance and becoming vulnerable to imprisonment and attacks. So as governments responded to the pandemic, they sometimes adopted strategies that disproportionately impacted people's rights. So one example, for instance, is the legislative actions to tackle disinformation, which we documented in at least 37 countries. What many governments did to counter it, whether through emergency laws or other legal instruments, was to respond by imposing criminal sanctions that were based often in vague and broad definitions of disinformation. This, instead of tackling the problem, in some cases actually allows governments to criminalize anyone who criticizes authorities' management of the pandemic So the laws might, for instance, enable the criminalization of a journalist to expose corruption in the procurement of vaccines. And that's actually not at all helping to tackle disinformation, right? 
So we're talking about a context where tolerance for dissent is declining. Another aspect of that, I guess, is when it comes to protests, we saw authorities resort to the pandemic to justify really indefensible responses. So last year, excessive force and detention of protesters were the most common tactics to restrict freedom of peaceful assembly in our analysis. And this isn't a new trend, I would say, but it was more widespread last year. So we documented it in more countries than the year before. You mentioned restrictions on protests, and we're going to get to that and dig a little deeper just in a second. But I just want to turn to the issues that are being protested about. So what are the fundamental rights that are driving people to take to the streets that you've seen in the data? Yeah, absolutely. So in the Civicus Monitor, we call 2019 a year of protests. So even with the restrictions and the concerns about the pandemic, this high level of mobilization continued. Some of the issues and urgent demands that brought people to the streets were, for instance, racial justice in the U.S. and worldwide, of course, and police violence in Nigeria, many other countries. Disputed elections were a main driver of protests in many cases, like in Belarus and Guinea. And, of course, the attempts to restrict rights also gave rise to major movements for, for instance, women's rights in Poland or against discriminatory citizenship law in India. And this year, I'll say that even though it's not even half the year, we're already seeing major protests erupting in India, Russia, Uganda, Colombia, just to name a few, around similar kind of issues. And last year, one aspect that we saw with COVID was that COVID itself really became a driver of protests, whether that was because people were demanding food and financial support from governments during these incredibly hard times, or because they opposed some of the restrictions that were imposed. So in Europe and Central Asia, for instance, the demonstrations against confinement measures like curfews or lockdowns were by far the most common. We registered those kinds of protests in 21 countries in the region and in 38 countries overall around the world. In other regions like the Americas and the Asia-Pacific, we documented more protests over economic and social issues like hunger or school closures. And another trend when it comes to coronavirus-related protests were the protests by essential workers that were often medical personnel, but also other workers who demanded protection equipment in order to be able to work and also improvements labor rights. One last thing that I would say is the pandemic really tested the creativity and resilience of protesters and pushed them to find alternative new ways of mobilization. So, of course, online. But demonstrators also found ways to demonstrate even with social distance, like in Israel, or they use symbols to convey their messages. So in Brazil, for instance, protesters put up a thousand crosses in front of government buildings in tribute to the thousands of lives lost to the coronavirus and to demand a change in the government's pandemic response. And I think what we saw really in 2020, 2019 is that protests have been a key factor of positive change in many countries with examples from Malawi, Chile, and And I think that's incredibly important to highlight, you know, the civic resilience that these movements are demonstrating, you know, whether it's socially distanced protests, or like you said, as in Brazil, you know, those symbolic forms of protesting to give these fundamental messages to the government. But on the flip side, what we are also seeing, as you've mentioned, is how authorities have responded to these protests. So what exactly does the the Civicus Monitor data say about the authorities' response? 
We often documented protests being disrupted, demonstrators detained, and use of excessive force in response to protests. For instance, police firing tear gas and pellets indiscriminately at crowds to disperse them, or even in such a way as to cause more damage. So for instance, in the US, we saw videos of law enforcement seeming, to be honest, quite deliberate in shooting protesters in the face. And I would say worldwide, the detention of protesters was actually the top trend in our analysis in 2020. So... On the one hand, we have to recognize that COVID-19 forced governments to face really difficult decisions, and that includes implementing unpopular restrictions to protect public health. But on the other hand, in our analysis, it's actually ironic, if you think of it, that the detention of protesters became so widespread, because what that meant, really, is that authorities took people from open public spaces to police stations, sometimes overcrowded prisons, and these conditions could obviously contribute to the spread of the virus spread than to contain it. So what we highlighted is that this actually calls into question whether governments were genuinely motivated by the need to ensure public health, or if instead sometimes COVID-19 was actually used to justify restrictions on protests in a context where there is less tolerance for dissent. Great. Thanks, Deb. That was Deborah Lau, my colleague, a civic space researcher at the Civicus Monitor. I mean, you do incredible work with the monitor team as the advocacy and campaigns team. We've really benefited from the insights and the research that you bring to Civicus. Quite an interesting interview. A lot of things I've been expecting, but also like a very worrisome picture. That is very concerning. But also, I think, let's look at how civil society has responded, right? Because I think that response has been incredible. We've got a sense of what's been happening, you know, in terms of restrictions, but I think we should hear from an activist on the ground. Roshika Dior is a Fijian feminist and a human rights defender. She is wildly known for her advocacy in the gender equality space and ending violence against women and girls. Let's take a listen to Roshika's experience of life as an activist in Fiji while they are currently under lockdown. It's after 3 a.m. I finally have a moment to myself. It's been a long, exhausting day today. We are in our second wave of COVID-19 lockdown and uh, have been in the lockdown for a month now. Whilst we're all staying home and not really exhausted in the physical sense of it, but there's this deep emotional and mental tiredness and exhaustion. And I think that also affects the physical being. There has been a lot of people reaching out through social media, through phone calls, even some through family members if they can't reach me through other means. And it has been people wanting information on COVID. It has been people wanting help with food, with money, people wanting support on domestic violence matters, people wanting support on child abuse, on online bullying. I mean, previously, there were many things that could be done to provide assistance or legal support. But now with the COVID context, there's limited accessibility, limited resources at disposal, restricted movement, which also becomes a hindrance. So being able to at least have access to information and also access to networks. I think that uh, the value of having strong networks become even more so evident during such kind of context. And during this process, networks have been very vital. 
sometimes you feel a bit helpless if it was not a lockdown period there would be many other things one could do to support people that are reaching out for help but during lockdown the context changes and it becomes a lot more difficult <sighs> before i go to bed i just wanted to share from yesterday where i got a call back text from a woman living with disability who stays with a daughter in an informal settlement they don't have a source of income and they don't have electricity the only means of communication is a cheap android smartphone and it needs to be charged a lot more frequently than other phones and they charge their phone several houses down the street they had registered for the government provisions that were being made to provide grocery for certain households during the 24 hours curfew period they had to register through their phone by texting and they would get all the details and confirmation on their phone only so their phone was now running out of battery and this is during the 24 hours curfew period where the police is coming hard on people they find outside their homes for whatever reason people were being arrested however they were going to risk the curfew and go several houses down the street to charge their phone because it meant having access to food it meant having access to information that was roshiga dio a fijian feminist and a human rights defender and you know my way to i think what really stands out for me from roshiga's story is that the exhaustion the mental and physical exhaustion that activists are going through at the moment with the covid-19 pandemic they've had to step in where governments have failed you know excluded groups vulnerable groups and i think we must pay tribute to them and it's actually exceptional the work that they're doing at the moment risking their lives and being at the forefront and trying to do the very best with what they can i mean so so true rt in the crisis response fund which is the grant i work under we have received a lot of applications from organizations across the world particularly during this covid-19 period because of the new tactics that governments have been employing to restrict civic space but also civic space defenders have also found new tactics to respond to those new tactics governments have been employing I definitely agree. Um and what we've been hearing about is you know how this right to protest is under threat and how governments are curbing it during this pandemic. But I also think it's amazing to see this creativity with protest movements, you know, whether it's social distance or online or finding alternative forms of letting governments know that hey, we're watching what you're doing and we're bringing you in check. Indeed, Ati, I recently spoke to Tia Jack, youth activist and the president of trade union Maldu Plus. Maldu Plus is made up of young people including high school students, unemployed people and precarious workers amongst others. As you were saying earlier, people got creative and Slovenians took to the street to protest against the new government and the prime minister. Some even played badminton in front of parliament as a form of political expression. Let's listen to my conversation with Tia. Tia, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, hi. Thank you for having me here. Of course, in March 2020, as Corona was being declared as a pandemic and through the resignation of the prime minister at the time, different political parties formed a coalition and appointed Janez Janša to serve as the new prime minister of Slovenia. Janso who was, has also been involved in Slovenian politics for the past 30 years is actually a convicted criminal who has been in prison and has been charged for corruption. 
With the extreme right in power and the start of the pandemic lockdown and restrictions looming ahead, the new government began misusing and abusing the power they had. One of the first scandals involved corruption in the trading of protective equipment. In March last year, since the Slovenian new government has been formed, of course, we've seen that there's been protest actions. I wanted to know, how did those unfold from there? Yeah, indeed. Uh, in Slovenia, we face a huge shock with uh, this new government that it's uh, really being extreme right fascist government. And since the beginning, people were very disappointed. We never thought this could ever happen in Slovenia. We were in shock and we were very against the situation. So first, when the pandemic started, we started protesting from our windows, from our balconies, because it was the time of a huge lockdown and we couldn't go out on streets. And when those things became more easier, we start hitting on the streets. We said that we are going to just cycle, you know. This was allowed at that time, doing exercise, uh, being on your bikes. So we started cycling all across Slovenia, and this started becoming a social movement that has been going on for a year now. This basically means that every Friday at 7, there are thousands and thousands of people on the street still saying the same message. We do not want this government. This is not acceptable. We want democracy and new elections as soon as possible. I like the kind of thinking through new modes or new ways of protesting, and particularly just like the cycling moment. And I mean, perhaps let's just zoom into that a bit more, Tia. How has the COVID-19 affected or impacted the ways in which you advocate and the protest culture in Slovenia? Yeah, of course, like the protest movement never wanted to jeopardize the health of the people. We respect the measures. We respect the health. We want to protect the lives of the people. It was never about anti-corona or anything like this. It was just a movement for the democracy. So we had to be innovative and we have to be proactive. This is why cycling, which is happening outdoor, which is happening with some kind of distance between people, was something that was at that time allowed. But later on, also government said that even cycling, it's not allowed, that nothing is allowed. So we were forced to break the laws just because those laws were made unfairly. We were also getting a lot of fines um, to us, like we were getting fines and we are still getting fines basically every Friday. And we had to change the movement throughout the year. At some point, we also connected with very famous lawyers, with organizations who are protecting us with their legal expertise. And right now we are also having a legal fights with them, not only on the fights on the streets, but also legal fights in court, because it has been proven even by the constitutional court in Slovenia that they cannot limit the right to protest. And this is exactly what our government was doing the whole year. They were saying, like, you're not allowed to protest. And we were saying, like, this is a human right. It's written in our constitution. You cannot fine us because of this. And now even the constitutional court said, yes, that we are doing the right thing. We can protest. But of course, throughout this whole year, we are trying to be safe and healthy as well. I like the combination of both. Would you say that lockdown introduced 
new restrictions? Or would you say the ways in which the government has currently been countering protest is within the tradition of the Slovenian government? Or would you say particularly that since the COVID-19, you have felt that the government has used the COVID-19 regulations to further clamp down on civic space? Oh, yes, definitely. They have been using this pandemic to impose measures that are beyond what it's normal. They have been imposing those measures when it comes to, for example, schooling. They wanted to change the public schools that we have in Slovenia into private schools. The same is happening with health insurance and health access. They are not only tackling the policies of COVID or only the policies of protests, they are trying to influence every aspect of our society. So they are just changing all of the regulations. Uh, We can see police repression being more violent and being more absurd. And they are just extending their power to everything. For example, they are also shutting down the media, (laughs) again, under the pretension that this is in the public interest or something. Like nobody understands it. But it's becoming, unfortunately, more and more clear that this is extreme right fascist government. And we have seen fascism in Slovenia in Second World War. And in Slovenia, we were very proud that we have overcome the fascist regime at that time. And we cannot believe that this is again happening. We thought this will never happen again. And it's shocking what we have to go through it in 2021. I can imagine. I can really, really imagine. And just finally, I'm interested in what you would say you've learned in the past year, right? Since the COVID-19 has hit Slovenia and there's been all of those changes within the government, what are some of the lessons for civil society? And also going forward, in which ways do you think civil society will need to readapt itself to some sort of deal with those new changes that have been imposed by the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I would say that the biggest lesson, of course, is to never give up, to become even stronger as a civil society. Many people at the power in decision-making processes who are holding all of the positions are trying to use this epidemic for their own benefits or for the benefits of their friends. And we should not just stop paying attention to what is happening just because we are worried of our health as well. We have to defend our human rights all the time, even in hard times. And we have to join forces. In Slovenia, this social movement is composed of so many different civil society organizations, individuals, trade unions, academic spheres, scientists, cultural activists. And if we all come together and stay positive and strong and committed then we can hope for a real change to happen. Tia, thank you so much for having this interview with us. Thank you. Take care. That was Tia Jak, a trade unionist and youth activist from Slovenia. And I think my way to the story of Slovenia is a good example of how governments have restricted the right to protest. We've seen that the protesters are actually crowdfunding at the moment because they've been hit with immense amount of fines from the government. So I think countries like Slovenia and other parts of the world where we're seeing that governments are finding ways to kind of restrict the right to protest because of that right of political expression, they're trying to silence all those critical voices, is something that we will really have to closely monitor and be sure that the monitor team will be definitely keeping a close eye on that. Now that we've had everything, this is how you could practically get involved. 
Civicus actually has a campaign that you can support. It's called Stand As My Witness. And it was launched last year on International Nelson Mandela Day on 18th of July, 2020. It features activists and human rights defenders from across the world who have been detained, imprisoned, harassed and persecuted for simply speaking out against the government and defending their civic freedoms. You can take action by urging governments across the world to protect rights and uphold justice and support human rights defenders languishing in prison for standing up for their rights. Now, you may be wondering, does this campaign work? But just to let you know that since we've started this campaign, we've successfully called for the release of nine activists and human rights defenders. And that's all thanks to people listening to these stories and taking action. Find the Stand As My Witness campaign on the Civica Socials at Civicus Alliance or on our website, which is www.civicus.org. You know, Mawetu, I think what really stood out for me today is that we've seen that the COVID-19 pandemic is unprecedented, right? We all found ourselves locked down in our homes, but civil society had to still find ways to do their jobs, right? To protect activists, to protect defenders, and to take to the streets when they had to, to protest. And the one thing for me is civic resilience is something that I think we should really uh, pay tribute to because under very trying and difficult circumstances, we've seen that movements and activism is still very much alive. And I think that really gives me the hope and inspiration as someone who monitors civic space and restrictions. Definitely. I think, Ati, we speak a lot around our organizations fit for purpose. And I mean, of course, none of those organizations had kind of prepared for the pandemic. I don't think civil society generally, you know, had prepared for the pandemic. But we've seen agility in the ways in which movements have been able to reshape themselves and make themselves malleable to both respond to this new normal. But at the same time, you know, the restrictions that have kind of come with the various state of emergencies and the COVID regulations. As I've said, this was our first episode of Civicus Voices. Our next episode will be out in two weeks. You can find Civicus online and on Twitter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe, listen and rate our podcast on your favorite podcast app. A big thank you to all of our guests today. This podcast was brought to you by the Civicus team and Elna Schertz. Today's producers are Amal Atrakuti and Deborah Walter. My name is Artie Narsi. And my name is Mawe Tungosana. Until next time, thank you for listening.